Hello, ladies yep. and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of DFV. I am your co-host, Black Cinephile. And I am that other co-host, Brad. That is that co-host, Brad. Whoa! No AKA? No AKA today. Okay, okay. We're making progress. Progress? You know I mean, <laughs> progress. You know, he, uh, he wasn't fooling anybody. I was like, for the longest time, he kept saying AKA. <laughs> I was like, all right, I guess people are just going to roll with that for a while. Um, all right. So today we got an interesting one. You know, just on the heel of the Oscars, um, we have uh, She Said versus Women Talking. We got uh, two um, very Oscar-buzzy films, uh, very Oscar-buzzy uh, female-directed films about um, very strong, powerful topics at hand. So um, these films right here, man, you know, I had been watching both of these during FYC season. Um, you know, one was a film that uh, I kind of I, I, I had hoped it would have been better than what I expected it to be. It kind of met my expectation, which was like, you know, more of a bad thing than a good thing. Another film was totally unexpected to me. And, uh, you know, as as we covered in the past episode, ended up in my top 10 of the year of uh 2022 yeah but um i I remember you specifically saying we need to find something to pair you know women talking up against because you wanted to know what i thought on that movie because it was just such a standout of everywhere kind of movie absolutely absolutely and uh you know we'll we'll definitely get into it um but i think on this one we should go chronological you know, um, it could go either way, but I feel like for this one, you know, chronological just feels right. What do you think? Um, yeah, I, I think chronological works, which I believe would put us talking about she said first. It would. Okay. So she said is a journalistic documentary or Hollywooded documentary movie style movie about <laughs> the. <laughs> It's hard to it's think of a, like how to like describe these kind of movies because it is kind of I, a Hollywooded documentary. I was I think dramatization is the word you're looking for. Probably it's not, it's not a document. It's not a documentary. Uh, it's a dramatization of events. True. Yeah. So a. <laughs> I hate to be that guy, but I couldn't just let you run with that. I said this is not a documentary, bro. <laughs> As soon as I said documentary, my brain was like, that's not the word you're looking for. That's not the it starts with a D, but that's not the word that you wanted. (laughs) Right, right, right. But it's a dramatization of the entire, you know, Harvey Weinstein kind of files of finding the women that he had sexually abused and had made these settlements with and trying to bring it to the light while also simultaneously discovering how far it goes in terms of how many women were involved, how far he actually went with these allegations and these settlements and how far Hollywood went to cover it up. Eventually coming to the roll tide that ended up being the entire me too movement. And this movie basically mm-hmm. classifies it from the journalistic perspective of discovering this information, trying to find all these people, find their stories, and realizing that so many of them were 
afraid to talk because they knew what would happen if they spoke up, already knowing what happened for it occurring and them staying silent. Mm-hmm. And for that, it's yeah. it's a very powerful movie in that it kind of does bring that kind of perspective from like the women that had these allegations and their fears of coming forward with these allegations into like an actual news light. You know, it's just when I saw this film, you know, you got you got it. It, it makes the right check marks. It has powerful mm-hmm. moments, um, you know, moments that I didn't read the initial New York Times article. So, um, I mean, everyone heard about Harvey Weinstein and his fall from grace, mm-hmm. but I didn't read the actual article written by uh, Jody Cantor and um, uh, Megan uh, Twohey. I hope I'm saying her name right. But I had heard about it. It's it's, it's infamous. You know what I mean? Um, so when you hear in detail some of the, you know, allegations and some of the testimonies of, you know, Weinstein's behavior, it makes for very jaw dropping moments. Like there's that moment where you just have a camera in a hallway and you, you hear like a recording, a recording that was like recorded in secret of like Weinstein trying to lure a woman, you know, into doing something like predatory for him, like 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 basically carrying himself in a predatory way. And it's 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 pretty it's pretty haunting, you know. Um, so you got that. You got the great acting from Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan. Mm-hmm. Um, you got the regular beats of, you know, like investigative journalists you know reporting and you know trying to find leads or whatever but i one of the things with a movie like this and i don't know how well i don't know how more it could have been done because the director does his job the script does his job but it's so formulaic it is very formulaic in that it basically goes to everywhere that we expect it to go here's where Mm -hmm. they're finding the names here's where they're going to the people Okay, the people don't want to talk. You know, oh, somebody just called them. Oh, they're going to go look for this person. They're going to go do this. But at the same time, that is journalism. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's very formulaic because it's actually following in, you know, being as, you know, Hollywooded as it is to make it an entertaining story mm-hmm. where it is. But at the same time, they did have to go through the same segments and everything that they went through in order to get this information in order to find these leads in order to find these women and find out exactly what happened meanwhile they have harvey kind of as this overlooming threat for the times that Mm -hmm. is you know calling them and being like how dare you go through these allegations how dare you try and say these things i think one of the best scenes of the movie is actually toward the beginning of the movie or actually basically the start of the movie where we're introduced to one of the characters as a runner for one of the movies that uh, Harvey is producing. And yeah, you know, it, she's having a, you know, fun time on the movie set. She's, you know, working on the movie and then it just Mm -hmm. cuts to her running down like a street in New York, you know, frantically, you know, holding her shoes and then it just cuts to black and it jumps into the story and it starts off even with uh, allegations against Donald Trump, which, Mm. you know, and then it goes into the whole O'Reilly stuff that ended up really pushing the possibility that the Harvey stuff was true. 
and mm-hmm. that it could have an actual voice in this kind of age because that got such publicity due to the fact that he was losing sponsorships and everything like that and then eventually got cut off the air entirely. Yeah. You know, during that time. Yeah, like I said, it, it hits all the right beats, right? It introduces the characters well, the main characters who um, you know, pursued the story, uh, goes into their home lives a little bit. I I think I could have wanted more of that, even though it wasn't part of the story. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this 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 story works so much better as a documentary. Like, strangely, I feel like this is one thing that when it gets Hollywooded up, it, it loses its power a bit. A little bit, because everything is kind of, we all already know exactly how this ends and everything like that. It's a very recent event. It's not like this is the uncovering of some secret document from a story happening in like the 60s or 70s. It's Mm -hmm. a modern day news story, which I believe even when this movie came out, uh, it was after its release that he was actually found guilty of some more cases in another mm-hmm. one of the court trials. Like that's how fresh this story is that the court trials aren't even done for all of the allegations against him. Yeah. I just feel like watching this film, I feel like I was watching a Wikipedia page on the whole ordeal in motion. You know, I felt like I was, I wasn't really watching stuff that, you know, of course you don't see them like chasing down the leads. Like, mm. you know, of course you don't know of how it happened because you weren't with them when it happened. But I felt like, so much of this could have been covered like like in a more punchier way through a documentary than a uh, than a dramatization. Yeah, it, it definitely it has, like you said, it, it basically works in its own favor and against itself at the same time for everything that it touches mm-hmm. on. You know, it's all done you know, very well for the material that they have and everything like that. And the story that they're trying to tell the way that they have it, you know, everything going on in the times where they're trying to find all this information and they're dealing with the fact that these women don't want to come out and tell their story because they're afraid and everything. It does well with kind of showing the perspective from the journalist, but at the same time, the journalists almost come off predatory as well. And I don't know Mm. if that's something that they were trying to, like, do with the movie or if it just came off that way because of how, like, quickly they had to go through all the events where they're how do you mean it? How do you mean? But basically where they were less concerned about the women coming forward and more about we got to get this story out, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, well, will I be safe? If enough people come out, you will be safe but we need you to come out to start the thing. And they were telling that to everybody. It, it just That's comes an interesting off. take. Yeah. It, it's comes off, you know, I, I'm sure that it in person there, it was a lot more, you know, feeling and thought toward it and everything like that. than we need to get the story out. But because of like the time frame that they had to tell this all in for this movie and try and keep it exciting and everything, it, it does come off as a little predatory in that aspect that, they're not so worried about the women as much as they're worried about taking down Weinstein. Yeah, I would say I, I would think it actually did go down like that because you're being honest as a journalist. You're telling them straight up, listen, I, I'm not going to lie to you. You know, we can't legally protect you from what you're saying to us. But if enough people come out, like you said, you know, it, mm-hmm. it will make a difference. And 
you got to walk that fine line as a journalist. You know, you're not a detective. You're a journalist. You, mm. you can't really protect this person you're getting this stuff from. But it could go a long way if you publish the story. Uh, I feel I, I like that part of it because I don't think it made them look predatory. But I did. I did think it made it made them look real. Like, I, I wish we could. I wish, you know, as journalists, we had a witness protection program for y'all. But we, we don't. Mm hmm. Right. And I mean, luckily, in the story that they're telling, more women did come out and everything kind of did snowball in their favor to show just how much of a monster he was. But mm -hmm. I remember when this was going on live and the first like allegations were coming out against him. And my first thought was, who's Harvey Weinstein? <laughs> Why is I, he I... such a powerful figure? <laughs> Yeah, I recognize the name. I didn't recognize his face because when I saw his face, I'm like, I don't know who that is. Mm -hmm. But I, I recognize Weinstein because, you know, I watched a lot of Tarantino films growing oh, yeah. up. And I had always seen Harvey and Bob Weinstein as the producers. I was like, oh, those are the those are the Tarantino guys. And then I found out, oh, no, they're they're head of like Miramax mm -hmm. and like, like itself. And I was like, oh, OK. So then you would learn more and more about uh, like, like who he was and all of this. Yeah, I think that whole thing also like brought to light to me like how many people are involved in like different movie studios and everything like that cuz prior to that mm -hmm. it was like, oh yeah, Fox put out a movie. Who's running Fox? I don't know. I don't care. It doesn't did Fox put out a good movie? Okay, that's what I care about. Listen, I I didn't know for the longest time that Bob Iger stepped down as CEO until he came back as CEO again. <laughs> I was like, oh, he stepped down. Like, I, I didn't know. I was like, oh, I, did, I never knew he left. Yeah. You know? Hey, man, Bob's back. But Bob left? <laughs> yeah, dude, he right. left like five years ago. Oh. What, was there somebody else doing stuff or was just nobody was at the helm during that time? <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. Oh, I got to talk about one just terrific sequence in this film. I, I, I think all the... Like like a lot of the audience and a lot of the uh, critics have talked about it, dude. I love Samantha Morton's sequence in this film as a uh, an adult Zelda Perkins and just her whole like like uh, part where she's telling the story to um I believe it was Carrie Mulligan's character. Uh yeah, I believe so. Yeah, like um I I love her whole sequence because even though she's all she's on the screen for a short amount of time, she just she sells it so well of a woman that's telling her story. Uh, been through hell and back and has finally you know come back around in her life yeah she found her peace of life mm -hmm. that she could get having followed the events that basically traumatized her and blacklisted her from the industry because yeah. i love how one thing that uh is kind of pushed that like every single one of the women say in this movie was that when you leave miramax the mm -hmm. idea that you would leave there is so insane that places don't want to hire you because you left what they consider to be the perfect job. And you right. can't say why you left because of all the legal notices and everything. And also the fact that they had like the stipulation that if they couldn't find work anywhere else, you know, Miramax would take them back as if that was ever an option in any of these women's head. Mm hmm. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I um I gotta say, compared to like a better journalistic film I've seen, uh that we've seen, you know, Spotlight, 
Mm-hmm. You know, the thing about Spotlight is it's the same thing where it covers the beats, but it's just made in, in a such it's made in a much more engaging way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, it's not made. It's a, made more as yeah. a thriller than right. a drama. I would have liked to see this as a thriller. I think it has thrilling moments, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's made like as a straightforward drama and it doesn't work in that way. Not really. I mean, some scenes work and everything like that, but as a whole, it mm. it does kind of feel lacking in the subject matter because it is a very powerful subject matter. The story of mm-hmm. Harvey Weinstein and the Me Too movement and everything is a big deal. It changed a lot. And this movie doesn't feel like it has that same impact that the actual movement did. For sure. Yeah, and it, it's just there's the whole irony that this this film is made by Universal. Now, now, uh, you know, you don't hear uh, of many uh, controversial things of Universal as you hear about, you know, Miramax because of Weinstein. But it's like it's just funny that another big studio is making a film about the downfall of a big studio. Mm. Like it, it's kind of makes you as you watch the film, it makes you feel a little silly. You know, it's like, well, this is kind of like this film works within the industry that gives power to these, you know, predatory people. You know that mm-hmm. that that do these um, do these things to innocent you know um, uh, people in this industry. I don't know. It's just like a there's a hard irony watching a Hollywood dramatization of a, a Hollywood controversy. Yeah, it's kind of like how when Netflix came out with a documentary about Blockbuster, it's like, wow, <laughs> how <laughs> dare you? You just got to twist the knife, and then they you made just- a. They had a, they made a fictional comedy about Blockbuster too. Oh yeah, <laughs> they just that had... wasn't even good. <laughs> yeah, I heard it wasn't good. I didn't even watch it. I was like, that's not for me. It's not for me. Um, yeah, man, it, dude, it, it pains me to say this, but I, we gotta be real on this show. I gotta be real. This is a two point five to me. It's 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 a standard middle of the lane three, you know. Mm, that that's okay. all it is it basically it hits those notes that it wants to hit well right but everything else just kind of flounders around it and it makes for a movie that there's a couple times where you're just going okay i i, I get why this is important but this doesn't seem like one of the points that you should be focusing so much time on like the secret contact they had that hated weinstein and was going to give information and stuff all those scenes kind of came off as pointless because they're mm-hmm. all done in this weird kind of, oh, let's meet at a restaurant and get no information. But in the scenes following, we'll talk about the information we got from that. So why have those scenes in the first place? Or why have the right. scenes afterwards where you're talking about the information you got from the previous scene? We already know as the audience that information. We don't need to be told that information twice. It yeah, Pick I, one or the other. <laughs> yeah, Definitely. And like I said, there's good moments in the movie. They just don't make up the whole. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some parts are kind of, you know, a little boring. I'm like, uh, and I get it that they try to f- follow the flow of the journalist. Like, uh, hello, we're here for such and such. You know, door slam. All mm-hmm. right. That was a bad lead. Hello, we're here for such and such. Door slam. All right. I, you know, we can shorten this up a little bit. We get it. Rejection after rejection. This, this could have been a montage. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. It's, yeah, it. The movie likes repeating itself a little bit too much, and that's where I think it falters. Instead mm-hmm. of like presenting new information and going further into it, 
it decides to just keep going over the same stuff over and over and over. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, moving on. All right. So now we got um, Women Talking, written and directed by Sarah Polly. So um, pretty bare bones plot here. Um, this film, uh, based on a novel by Miriam Toes, uh, is inspired by real life events that occurred at, uh, you know, the Manitoba Colony, a remote and isolated uh, Mennonite community in Bolivia. So basically, this is a community where uh, women are um, very much in a submissive place. You know, they uh, they they serve their men who are, um, you know, farmers um you know uh they it's it's similar to the amish community but not the amish community you know but it's it's in a situation where women are um you know seen but not heard you know their their job is to serve their men and um you know and uh you know serve the uh the uh the the, the colony so to speak yeah they're uh, seen more as objects for the use of the men in the village than they are as people that are a part yes. of the village so there have been sexual assaults within the colony. And uh, the film starts off with a young woman that, um, you know, has uh, visible bruises and wounds, you know, um, uh, you know, on her thighs um, that are, uh, you know, through, through rape. I mean, you know, through, you know, because we're on YouTube, the through the R word, you know, through assault. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's uh, th there's a clear decision to be made here. So um, the men of the colony tell the women, OK. So we're going to leave. We, we, we've taken the uh, the attackers who've done this and we've they, they've been in prison in a nearby city. Um, moving forward, uh, the women of the county have uh, three decisions. They can um, forgive the attackers, forgive all the attacks that's been going on um, and uh, basically uh, stay. They can uh, choose to leave. You know, they can they can choose to leave if they don't like the way they're being treated or they can stay and fight. Now, whether fighting means physically or fighting means uh, whether through protest, uh, it, it's kind of it, from what it sounds like, it's interchangeable. You know, like um, we, we got a character in this film that we'll talk about later that, you know, gets, you know, physically abused by her husband. So fight could literally mean fight. So. A bunch of um, I want to say the elders or basically the leaders of the um, of the community uh, get together and uh, speak about their next moves. We have Ona played by Rooney Mara. We got Salone played by Claire Foy. Uh, Mariche played by Jesse Buckley. Um, we also got Ag Agatha Agatha played by Judith Ivy August, uh, who was played by Ben Whitshaw. So he um, he's a male that basically is taken down the minutes of the meeting. Uh, basically the only the only uh, male member of the main cast mm -hmm. and um you, you know we have a uh, scarface uh scarface jams played by francis mcdormand who was uh, you know one of the one of the older elders of the community so basically the the whole film is 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 a chamber piece and it revolves around them sitting in this meeting deciding what they're going to do and from then on is truly one of the best films of 2022 I mean, the thing I love about this movie, you know, with this terrific jarring flashbacks, it's terrific editing, is that it's a tense situation. You know, oh, yeah. Um, these women are making a choice to stay and fight or leave all that they know, all that they've been brought up to follow, you know, through religion, you know, um, natural order, 
of, of the, their natural order of life and everything. Yeah, it comes down to this is their village. It's not mm-hmm. just the men's village. It is also their village. They don't want to just leave it behind. They don't want to leave behind their legacy. But at the same time, they need to consider protecting themselves, their children, their daughters, and also their own sons that from becoming the same monsters that the rest of the men in this community have become. So mm. when they're coming to these decisions and everything, none of it's taken lightly. They discuss yeah. all the points of like every possible option. Do they leave? Well, if they leave, did they really win? Because all that happens is the cycle will continue with new women that will end up being brought into the village and nothing changes. Their lives change, but they haven't fixed the problem. Well, do they stay? Well, if they stay and they don't do anything, they're still going to be living their personal hell. There's not going to be anything that they can do. But do they fight? How can they fight? In what way can they fight? What can they actually do to affect the men that are making this change and everything or to make a change happen? You know, and obviously you have the conflicting views of all the women where some of them are like, we, we got to stay, you know, we don't like it, but this is the way of life. You know, we don't have a perfect life, but this is how we need to be. And then you have the people saying that they need to leave. They need to get out. They need to be able to escape from this reality because mm-hmm. currently it, all they're doing is, feeding into a cycle that's never going to stop unless they do something and leaving would just remove them from the cycle entirely. It's yeah. I love. Yeah. Good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tough decision, but I love how they talk it out and they, in a, in a, they go through the motions as the film goes on. Like, you know, in, in any other filmmakers hands, I don't think they could have did a bang up job with the dialogue and the pacing as Sarah Polly did, you know what I mean? And, um, and her direction as well. Like you got Rooney Mara's, uh, Ona, uh, who was pregnant. She's kind of like the voice of reason through all of this. She, she gives good reasons as to why they could stay and fight. And she also gives good reasons as to why they should leave. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's on the side of do nothing. Um, you got Claire Foy Salome, who uh ooh, she's a true MVP in this movie, uh, especially as her intensity peaks throughout the film. Um, you know, she's on the side of like, okay, I I want to stay and fight. You know, you got Jesse Buckley, who was terrific as uh Marici, um Marice, I hope I'm saying her names right. Um, you know, she's like uh, you know, um, look, let's just stay. Uh, I'm a little wary about fighting them, but you know, like let's 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 just stay and see what happens. Uh, and she's a little stubborn on on you know what she believes as well. And I love how their personalities clash, but there's a there's a mutual respect there. You know what I mean? Right. Even though they're debating this subject, they're all listening to each other and their different points of view. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I, part of it also they have to like keep these kind of meetings private and secretive that they're even having mm-hmm. these discussions. So they have to bottle up a lot of the emotion that they have in order to not bring any attention to these meetings at the same time. And I love how we have, you know, the one male that is there kind of helping them write down their notes and everything because. In this village, they're not taught how to read and write. They're not taught how to do any of this stuff. So in order for them to keep track of everything that's being said, he helps them along the way. 
And if I recall, he's actually not from the village. He was from outside the village, right? The teacher. Uh, for what I understand, he he is a school teacher. Um, I don't know if I think I don't know if he is from the village, though. I, I believe he was an outsider, which is why he was more open to helping them when he found out or realized what was happening to the women in this village. But I can't remember if he was originally a member and he left and came back because there were a couple of the men that they talked had left the village and returned to the village. And I can't remember if he was one of the ones that was originally a part of the village and came back as a teacher because he was originally there to teach the boys. He did come back. He did. You're right. You're right. He did come back as a school teacher. Okay. Right about that. Um. Yeah, one character I, I love in this film, uh, the character of Melvin, who used to be Nettie. Um, you know, uh, there uh, he's a transgender man who, um, you know, after they're raped, you know, when when he was when he was a woman, he refuses to speak except to the younger kids. I, I love the character trajectory of of Melvin too. How like you know throughout the film, I believe his family. With, I think it was his mother. He keeps calling him like Nettie. He's like, it's like Nettie, what is it? Like, like, what are you trying to say? You know, and then, you know, finally there's that moment in the end where, you know, his name is his name is called by what it is today, which is Melvin. Uh, yeah, I love his character development, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the progress that we get to see some of the characters make in this are absolutely fantastic. And it really goes to show, like, how these kind of events are affecting them because we I can't remember where it is. It's pretty early in the movie that we find out that the men have actually been using horse tranquilizers on these women in order mm-hmm. to, you know, put them in this position of vulnerability where they can't fight back and they can't do anything. So they just be waking up and a lot of them are traumatized by it. And yeah. they're all taking it in different ways. You have one of them that I can't remember what her name was that would have panic attacks just talking about, you know, the idea of what was happening to them as a result of this, you know, and mm-hmm. it's it's very well done. And it also helps bring like the dreariness of the situation by the fact that it, the entire movie is in this washed out kind of colorless yeah. tone where I, I almost wanted to say it was a sepia tone, but sepia tone is still more like bluish. Western. Yeah. Yeah. A little bluish. But the fact that it's like this colorless perspective on everything, it brings like that extra, this feels like a wrong situation. It it adds an extra layer to their conversations and everything that they're having to show just how lifeless this village is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to say, uh, dude, I love the editing of this film, man. I love how this is, this is a tense uh, 104 minutes, bro. Like I love when they bring the flashbacks out uh, through the, the sound design of the bells you know, like the, the the jarring, disturbing flashbacks of women being assaulted and things of that nature. Well, it shows them after the assault happened. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I love that because, um, you know, the jarring, the jarring ins- inserts of the flashback matches the jarring tone of what's going on. You know what I mean? Of what's going on with these women, like 
being stuck in a situation of like, you know, we we got to do something mm-hmm. if, if we don't, it, you know, if we don't know what we're going to do yet, but we have to something needs to be done. Yeah. And we're running out of time to act. You know, there's right. there's only so much time that we have to make a decision before it'll be too late, no matter what that decision is. In assuming the decision isn't to just stay and have the status quo continue as it was. Yeah, there's a great moment in the film where um, it, it almost feels like like August is a little bit of a punching bag for uh, uh, Mariche's character. Um, and at one point when things get a little tense, and you know, I, I love how August, you know, like respectfully, he understands how tense this is. So he doesn't make any waves when they ask him questions. He tries his best to give leveled answers, but he's like, listen, it's not my place. I'm, I'm just here to take your minutes, you know? Um, and of course he cares for, for Ona as well. Uh, but, um, I like how at one point things get a little tense and you know, August starts writing stuff down and they all start laughing like, Dude, are you taking minutes of this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is why. I, it's, I mean, that's, that's why I'm here. You know, like I'm just doing my job. This is a guy that understands the assignment. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how tense it gets. He's like, I'm taking down these damn minutes. <laughs> I'm here to take notes. I'm going to take notes. Yeah, I love when they even like ask him for like advice and stuff, and he just goes, "Look, it's not my place to interject into your fight because." If you take my advice and it ends up being the wrong thing, I don't want right. to be the one that, you know, puts you in a position where you guys feel that you made the wrong choice because of my inputs. And I like how he even like, you know, without trying to sway them, you know, pulls like different mm-hmm. like let's do like a pros and cons of the different ideas that you have let's let's write down the different things that are you know what's good about this idea but what would be bad if we did it for this idea and he really does try and help the best way he can without knowing Mm -hmm. how to help himself because i like that that's a part of his character is he's not there as a perspective on their lives where he's just trying to tell them what they should do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to say something. So, so who did you think was the the best like person in this cast? Because they're all so brilliant, man. I mean, even even Frances McDormand, who doesn't have that much time on screen, she just nails it. But uh. To me, man, I I really tack I really toggle between Jesse Buckley's Mariche and Claire Foy's Salome, uh, because I gotta say Salome at first I like how as the film goes on she becomes more of a strong character, mm-hmm. and I mean strong as in like pushed to the forefront. Because in the forefront we just got Ona, we got Mariche, we got the narrator of the film that that young lady, um, but as time goes on Salome, like I love that one moment where she goes. Listen, I don't care who it is. No one's touching my child. You know, when it comes to my kid, all bets are off. Like, I like how her anger matches well with Mariche's stubbornness, you know? Yeah. Uh, for me, I would have to say that it was Jesse Buckley as Mariche. And her okay. performance and her scenes were the ones that captured me the most, mm-hmm. you know? But at the same time, like you said, there's stubbornness <laughs> with it. Right. You know? It, she came off as the one that 
it, she was open to everybody else's ideas, but she definitely already had her thoughts set on what should happen. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, it's it, she absolutely knocked it out of the park. Same with Rooney Murray as Ona. But I mm-hmm. think that one doesn't even need to be said that she just completely rocked that role and took over the screen mm-hmm. anytime she was on it. Yeah, everyone does well in their role. This this film is perfectly cast. Everyone does well. This is a great ensemble piece, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, that's why it was so hard, like, during voting season when they were, like, best supporting actress. You know what I'm saying? I was trying to, <laughs> I was trying to throw the whole cast up there. You know what I'm saying? Especially even even for best actors. You know what I'm saying? But um, yeah, yeah, it, it's it's a great cast. Uh, I I pretty much said all I need to say about this film. I mean, you you got anything else? I, I'm trying to think of anything else, but it, I think we touched on it all. They, there's just so much power in this movie even though most of it takes place in just the second level of a barn with just Mm -hmm. women in a circle talking and every once in a while there are movies that don't do flashbacks well where they'll Mm -hmm. like intercut and we've talked about a couple of those movies where the flashback sequences seem to break up the movie too much i think here yeah, Knock at the Cabin is a perfect example where the flashback sequences would just break up the pacing of the movie. In this movie, the flashback sequences are like that gut punch as you're kind of waiting in line to, you know, figure out what's going to happen. And you just get this gut punch and you're just like, OK, but what's what's going to happen? And another gut punch. and You're just like, I, I really need to know what's going to happen now, because this is this is getting painful. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. I feel like that that works to his benefit too, as well. Uh, yeah, man. I gotta say, when I saw it, it was a uh, kind of a near perfect movie, and uh, I truly thought it was one of the best of 2022. I, I got this at a straight five. I have this as a four point five. It's it's mm. right there. It's right. So what what stops it to you? Is it just just nothing but the talking or it's the fact that, well, I would say that some of the talking does get a little played out in certain points of it where it was mm-hmm. like, OK, you guys already went through this scene where you guys discuss this. I get that you the power of it and everything like that. But some of it did get a little bit repetitive to me. And, mm-hmm. you know, it just it, it feels like a very solid four point five movie. OK, OK. Yeah, I don't see any frills in this. I feel like from first frame to the last frame, the film does what it does, and it does it very darn well. Uh, Yeah, great film. Excuse me. So when it all comes down to it, I mean, this is this is another one of those no competition films. I mean, I I had women talking from the jump. Uh, Yeah, I mean, (laughs) yeah. There's nothing else to really say when it comes to these two stories. They are very powerful stories of, you know, women having to make decisions on because of actions taken on them from men. And one of them started an entire movement. One of them was a more close knit community. But at the same time, the movies presented them in such different ways that women talking just comes off as so much more powerful than she said, even though mm-hmm. the, she said the movement started from, she said had such a bigger impact on the world as a large. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Which goes to show just how well the movie was made and how you can turn this kind of smaller story into such a powerful story as a result of good, well done, you know, movie pacing, characters, and dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh. Yeah. So. Uh. Excuse me. Uh. There goes it. Uh. So I want to go into after show topics. I know uh, on on um, the last episode you mentioned you saw Ant Man. You seen uh you seen anything else lately? Uh, so I finally sat down and watched uh, the new Puss in Boots movie because oh. so many people were just like, "How have you not seen that yet?" And I was like, "Because the first one, I just didn't care for it." So I sat down, watched it, and my God, that movie is absolutely fantastic. It was so good, wasn't it? It, it didn't and deserve I- to be as good as it was. Like after watching it, I was kind of <laughs> like, "This is upsetting." That that movie ended up being that good, knowing that the first one was so bad. <laughs> Dude, I was watching that movie and I was like, "This is a this is a Puss in Boots movie, right?" Yeah. <laughs> like, why is this so good? You know. Um, and uh, I had never saw the first one because I was like, man, I don't really watch like spinoff films like that. <laughs> um, but I was watching this film and I was like, uh, it had been advertised for so long. And, you know, a screener was sent out to me and I was like, you know what? Why the heck not? It's free. I ain't got to pay for it. I'll watch it. <laughs> and I was like, dude, this is a great movie. And, dude, the Big Bad Wolf was such a terrific villain. As that like kind of presence that's over looming the entire movie, he's absolutely yeah. fantastic with Jack Horn or Big Jack Horner as the main antagonist. I love that. Goldilocks mm. and the Three Bears as a crime family. Absolutely yeah. love that concept, and they just went everywhere with it that they could. The idea of the map changing the path that they take based on whoever is the person holding the map. I love that mm. concept because it kind of gets to dive deep into like the concerns of these people that are looking for this wish. Uh, I don't think we ever got to see what Jack Horner's map looked like, though, if I recall correctly. No, no, I, I, I don't think we got to see it either. I, I want to see what his no. twisted <laughs> map to the star would have looked like. Yeah, man, I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, dude. I mean, it was just, it was just well written. Like this is what made me fall in love with Shrek. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? The, the subversion of the fairy tales and everything. Uh, it, it was very well done, and you know, you had to kind of like, you had to kind of uh, Shrek wink at the end. Of like, you know, him saying, you know, I'm going off to see some old friends. You know, I was like, I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. That was a nice that that was a nice wink at the end. Yeah. Yeah. It, first off, the animation is absolutely fantastic as well. It mm-hmm. this movie. I don't remember what they call that art style where they have different frame rates and different parts of the same scene. But I don't it, remember either. It, it, I, there's a word for it, and I'm skipping on the word right now. But this movie does it fantastically, where you can see things kind of moving at a slower pace in the background while you have, you know, Puss in Boots kind of in the forefront doing his thing. It's mm-hmm. it, the fight scenes and everything were great. Everything about this movie was absolutely fantastic. And I don't think it, you know, I can't think of a single thing I didn't like about that movie. 
from top to bottom. Everything was great. The music was great. The animation was great. The characters were great. It does follow a couple cliches, but it takes those cliches and, you know, even with like the Goldilocks and the three bears, and it's like, okay, I can see where this plot's going. But at the same time, as it's reaching there, you're kind of going, yes, yes, it's getting there. <laughs> you know, you're mm-hmm. rooting for all these characters, even though you already know exactly where it's going to go because it's a kid's movie. Right. Yeah, it was a sleeper hit. It it, it it thoroughly surprised me when I saw it. When that movie ended, I said, that was that good? Mm-hmm. Wow. That surprised me. Yeah, yeah. A very, very good movie. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I think we can cut it off there. You know, this has been another great episode of DFV. You know, you let us know what you think, uh, one out here, whether you thought it was She Said or Women Talk. If you agree, if you disagree, let us know. Keep watching movies. Keep loving movies. And and, uh, take care.